Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. We are in a series called We the Church, and over the last several, mo- or several months, we've been walking through different aspects of who God is, and we focused in particular on the Spirit of God. We studied a, a lot about um, who is the Spirit of God, the one-third one of the triune nature. Many of us, we understand the, the Father, we understand the Son, uh, but many of us haven't had a whole lot of teaching or, or uh, reading or studying about the Spirit of God. So if you go back online, you can find some old sermons from the last few months that really talk about who the Spirit of God in our lives is. And we moved from just understanding the Spirit to understanding the Spirit in us, and then under this understanding how the Spirit works uh, out outwardly from us to accomplish his will on this this planet. Um, But in addition, when we talk about the Spirit of God, we have to understand that the Spirit of God works in community, that uh, that the Spirit of God, when he falls, he falls on um, many at at once. It's very rare that you just see the Spirit move in in one single person, maybe for courage or encouragement. But in terms of a move of God, it comes because a lot of people submit themselves to the Spirit of God and whatever the Spirit wants to do. And when that happens, you get a, a unified force of, of people that no longer are just dependent on their own flesh and talents, but all of a sudden, God moving in and through a group of people. And so we're talking about that this month in We the Church. And today I want to take you to a story about a guy named Elijah. Elijah is a prophet. And uh, the best way I can sum up what a prophet's job is, is their responsibility was to go into an area and say, hey, you all suck at life. Uh, And so they didn't make much friends. Prophets uh, did not make many friends. And what the message that they had to bring was not always accepted well. Because really, you're challenging people to change their worldview, change their their mindset, change how they walk, talk, act, and, and believe, and care for people. And so a prophet just says, thus saith the Lord. And so Elijah, that was his calling. His calling was to be a prophet. And we find out about him in 1 Kings 17. You kind of jump in. And a few things happen. I want you to catch up to, to kind of Elijah's life before we drop in chapter 19. But a few things happen in 17 and 18 that help set the, the, the tone for what we're going to deal with today. Uh, first of all, there was a, a drought in the land. Um, uh, Elijah saw God bring about a, a, a drought. And so there was no more water. But uh, God allowed God allowed uh, Elijah to be fed by the ravens, um, not the eagles, uh, not the redskins, not the steelers, certainly not the steelers, uh, the ravens. So, <laughs> so, so with that, um, God, uh, God uh, allowed this to happen. And so this was a miracle where there was, uh, there, there was just this drought everywhere, but God looked down on Elijah and, and blessed him. God had a plan. So in the middle of a barren land, God had a plan. It was a tough gig to, to do what Elijah did, but it was the fact that, that uh, God brought food um, to Elijah to sustain him during this drought. And then we see that God uh, moved Elijah, and he came across this, this, this woman, and uh, this, this oil was able, this widow and her son, um, the flour and oil were there. They were miraculously renewed over and over again. And uh, the resurrection of, of the widow's son occurred here. So, so God sees the sustaining, or God brought the sustaining hand upon Elijah. And when he moved him, the hand of God went with him, went into one desperation after another, one 
down season into another down season. Many of us, we go through difficult challenges, and you've bought into a lie about your life and about theology, about who God is, where people say, well, hey, you're just going to walk into blessing on blessing. And you walk in, and you're kind of like, well, this doesn't really look like what I've been told about God. And the reality is you've just not been told the full context of God's Word, and so people have, have given you coffee cup Christianity to really distort what it's supposed to look like. The reality is we, we go from one difficult day to another. Um, that's the idea of encouragement. The idea of strength and courage is that you go from one difficulty to another without a change in your demeanor towards God. When you are an encouraged Christian, you can go through up times, you can go through down times, and you can still walk the same and have the same view of God. It's going from one difficulty to another without a change in your demeanor. And so Elijah has this experience where he walks into a new difficulty. There's, there's flour and oil that get multiplied, and also this, young, this little boy uh, died, and, and, and so Elijah is given the ability to raise him back to life. Then there's this fun story where he comes upon this group that used to follow God, but all of a sudden they quit following God. And when they did, they started to follow this, this God called Baal. And so they would uh, have Baal worship. They would be worshiping this false deity, this false God. And Elijah comes along and he's kind of like, hey guys, you know better than this. Like, what are you doing? And so he comes in, he's pretty amped up, he's pretty upset. And finally he decides to throw down the gauntlet. And so what he does is he says, hey, you know what? We're going to sacrifice a bull. And what we're going to do is you're going to call fire down from heaven and, and, and uh, I'll call fire down from heaven and whatever works, works. Well, he watches them, and they go through. It's a really cool scene, and they go through, and they start to get to the place where they're desperate, and they're crying out, and they're cutting their body, and they're bleeding all over the place. And uh, Elijah, he was a really polite guy, a really polite guy. Uh, and so Elijah, if you don't think the Bible is funny, um, you're not funny, because Elijah, he cries out to these prophets that are marching around this false deity trying to bring about worship that's not there. And he says, hey, maybe you need to shout louder. He says, your God, your God might be in the bathroom taking a whiz. And so like literally that's what he shouts at these people that are bleeding all over the place trying to, trying to bring about this false God. And so then he goes through and here's, he adds insult to injury. He dumps water all over the, the, the worship, um, the, the altar. He dumps water and he goes, no, 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 bring more water. And after all this water, he created a moat of water, dumped water all over it. And then he said, God, just show your presence. And so uh, the fire comes down from heaven, poof, a flame. All these people are kind of like, what? And he's like, what? What? And so all that was going down. And, uh, and, and he got to see all that happen right there in front of his own eyes. So here we are. We're at three, four, five, six miracles. All this stuff's breaking down. And then he prays for rain. And the rain comes. So the, fan, the, the drought is over. Um, the famine starts to lift because of that. And Elijah paved the way for relief. But then this chick comes in the picture. Young men, be careful with the chicks. This chick comes in the picture. I'm just joking. I'm not sexist. I'm funny, but not sexist. Jezebel comes in, and Jezebel's kind of like, hey, uh, I don't like how you went and, and destroyed all of my Baal worshiping people. So those are my people. Boom. And so she flips out, and Ahab, he had the power, but hey, they're married. So she comes down, and she's like, we're about to, I'm going to kill you. She basically says like, hey, uh, my own life should be gone if I don't make you look like one of those dead dudes. So Elijah, he's got this opportunity in front of him. 
He can rely on the fact that God had been there for him time and time and time again. He could rely on the fact that, you know what, my God has never left me. In the middle of the drought, my God was there. And when that lady's son died, my God was there. When there was no more food, my God was there. When I asked for rain to come, my God was there. When I asked for fire to come, my God was there. He could rely on the power of God that he knew about and he'd seen with his own eyes. Or he could run. And he ran. And so just in a matter of two chapters, this is a guy that saw more of God's work than than anybody practically in the Bible. And yet he was afraid because somebody said, I'm going to do you in. And so that's kind of where we pick up the story is, is Elijah running out of fear. Elijah shifted his occupation from being a prophet in the Lord. All of a sudden, that was too painful. Nobody likes me. And if nobody likes me talking about this God, then maybe I'll just stop doing that. And so he runs and he goes into hiding. But the depression follows him. And this is kind of where we pick up the story. In 1 Kings 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Gauntlet prone. Look what it says. Then he was what? Brave, bold, courageous, faithful. No, what was he? Afraid. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. I need you to see this because there were a lot of people that had been following Baal that all of a sudden they started to follow the Lord. And so he killed off the prophets of Baal, but there were people that were there now realizing that the Lord was the Lord, but he ran away from them and he had a servant with him who no doubt would lay his life down. And that day, that's exactly what they would do. And so no doubt would lay his life down for him. But he left his servant alone. But he himself, it says, went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and sat down under a broom tree. And look at this. If you've ever thought the Bible's not honest or real about difficult days, look at what it says. And he asked, what did he ask? And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. You see, Elijah fell into this I alone am left syndrome, this this self-pity, this overemphasis on his own importance. You see, instead of realizing with this new challenge I have in front of me, I've got the same God who's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one that never left me, the one that made me and sustained me and gives me new life. Instead of relying on that God that he knows about in his heart, he knows at the core of his being, that's who God is. Instead of relying on that God, what did he rely on? He relied on himself and he said, it is all about me now. I'm no better than my father's. He left his servant alone, who was more than glad to lay his life down for him and protect him. He left him alone. He left alone all the people that had been converted, that that started to trust in the Lord again and saw the miracle of God. He left all them behind. Some of us 
our discouragement. Some of us, our depression, not clinical, I'm speaking personal. Some of us get down because of situations that we build for ourselves. The Lord and His people have been there all along. But we go a day's journey and we start to say it relies on us, not on the Lord. It relies on what's around me. We start thinking horizontally when we're designed to think vertically. And when you do that, it doesn't matter how many miracles you've seen from God. Many of us would testify. We've seen the miracles of a birth of a baby. We've seen the miracles of God's fingerprints all around us. Everywhere you go every day, take, a, take some time. To just look up at the sky. Take some time to just listen to earth's creation crying out and singing out to our Lord. Take some time to process where you are. And you'll realize there are miracles all around you. The fact that we don't just all combust is incredible. The atoms that, that make up that seat that are holding you, they stay together by God's providence, by God's hand. It doesn't make any sense, but it does. The, the fact that the, the planets aren't bumping into each other, we're, we're, scientists are still trying to figure out this, this dark matter, this idea that you can't see it, but it has a property that's holding things apart. But there's miracles all around us. You may have seen the miracle of salvation in your own life. You may not, but you may have seen the sal miracle of salvation in someone else's life. Miracles all around us. And yet, when times get difficult, you and I are no more than Elijah. Because we say, oh, well, let me compare myself. How am I doing against the next guy? How am I doing against my father? How am I doing against the elders at the church? How am I doing against this spiritual? I'm not Mother Teresa. I, I'm not somebody who's, who's able. I'm not a missionary overseas. I'm not down in the inner city working in difficult places. I'm not them. So let me compare myself. And all of a sudden, that'll just wear you down because you're not designed to compare. But you get down and you get discouraged and you get beat up and you forget about God. And you go, no, the situation that I'm, I'm faced with, it is too big. It is too great. Let me just go through and tell you all the difficulty. I'm sorry, but you're going to have a hard time convincing me that whatever you're up against, the God who designed this universe, who sustains you and puts breath in your lungs, the God who is at every single hospital and, and crash scene of a car accident, who keeps people alive when there's no possible way they should. When, when, when that God's hand has dealt with all those other difficulties, and then you bring a challenge and you go, this will never change. I'm sorry. It won't change if you're relying on yourself. It won't change if you're relying on what your eyes can see and not what faith can do. It won't change if you're not going to rely on the Lord that sustains this whole thing. But Elijah, that's where he found himself. Elijah had seen God move so many times, but under stress, fear, doubt, self-importance, he folded and he gave up. Verse 5, and he, we have to do this as a church. We have to walk in faith, not fear. We have to walk in faith and not fear. If you go back and jot down some of your big life decisions or some of your big challenges or some of the things that paralyze you right now, I guarantee you can write the word fear on the outside of a lot of your decisions. I, I, I didn't take that, that role because I was afraid. I didn't confront that person because I had fear. I, 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 I didn't ask 
for this or that. I didn't uh, pray with my spouse because I'm afraid. They see all my frailties. So who am I to try to lead them in prayer? I, 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 I didn't ask that person to come to church with me. I was afraid. And listen, it's not a condemnation. It's just an honest evaluation. And I pray that you and I would ask ourselves on the daily, am I doing this by faith or am I doing this by fear? The scripture says in the book of Acts that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. But of power and sound mind and courage. And if that's the case, then you and I, if you call yourself a Christ follower, should not be operating in the spiritual world of fear. Verse 5, so we as the church, we're going to operate in fear, not, or in faith, not fear. And he laid down and he slept under a broom tree. So here he is, God, I want to die. I ran away, woe is me, slept under a broom tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Everybody say, arise and eat. And he, and he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is what? Too great for who? For you. The journey is too great for you. Arise and eat. You see, there are some people in this room today, your next best move is to arise and eat. You have given up on things. You have put things in the past that need to be in your present. You have said that thing is dead when it is very much alive. You have said, you know what, Lord, I can't accomplish that. And he says, you're right. You can't because the journey is too great for you, but it's time that you rise and eat because the Lord wants to give you the nourishment. You need to do the faith thing, not the fear thing. Fear says it's dead. Faith says it's alive. It is up to you to decide which one you want to live in. And at the end of the day, if you go down the journey of fear, especially after hearing this sermon, if you go down the journey of fear, then the consequences are yours alone. You can never again raise your finger at God and say, God, you got me here because faith is what will get you where God wants you to go. Fear will get you to where the devil wants you to go. It is your choice in life to decide, do I live in a purely physical world or do I live in a physical world that has a spiritual component? Am I a spiritual being with a physical body or am I a physical being who is making up the spiritual? It is up to you. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've got to decide what you want to do in life. And when you decide that, don't you dare blame God for the consequences. Because if you're not relying on faith, then you have no business tapping into the supernatural. But if you're relying on faith, then you can see the supernatural come. There are too many people that claim to serve a spiritual God, but live their life entirely in the physical. And so if all you're doing is looking at the physical and saying, this is how it's going to work, then you're a bean counter that won't get anywhere spiritually. You've got to go and say, Lord, I don't know how it's going to work. But if you can feed Elijah with the ravens, if you can raise that woman's son from the dead, if you can provide the oil and the flour that she needs to make food for a family, if you can do all of this, Lord, if you can bring the rain when there is no rain, if you can bring the fire that lights up a lake, if you can do all of that, Lord, then certainly you can handle the problem that's right in front of me. It is fear or faith. That is your choice. So arise and eat for the journey is too great. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. You know what we do as a church? We get back up in the strength of the Lord. We get back up. 
You're walking around, your head is down, you're looking at the circumstances, you feel like you're all alone. You say, man, this will never happen. It might have happened for other people. And yeah, all those miracles that have been going on. And yes, I've seen marriages restored. Yes, I've seen people healed of cancer. Yes, I've seen become obedient to the Lord and, and their lives change. Yes, I've seen men who thought that being a man meant pounding your chest and throwing back alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've seen the hand of God in other people. I'm just not sure if he's here for me. You know what we do? We as the church, we rise up and go, not in our strength, not in the strength of what we can see. We get up and go in the strength of the Lord. And so we as a church, we believe that God is a miracle working God. We believe that the spiritual world exists. We believe that he will make our paths straight. We b believe that he is the author, not of confusion. We believe. And you've got to decide how are you operating. What is your modus Operandi. What is your operational system? The computer is a bunch of nuts and bolts and copper, gold and all this stuff. But it needs an operating system. And you have the look of a computer. You have the look of a human. You have the look of maybe a Christian. But you know what? If the Spirit of God is not in you, if there is not an operational component to you that is based on the Word of God, and the faith in Jesus, and the sustenance that only He can provide you, then your life might have the components or the look of a Christian. But you've denied the power thereof. And some of us today need to be honest and just say, I don't have the power of God in me. Because when I look at my checkbook, when I look at my calendar, when I look at the decisions that I've made in the recent past, they're all based on what I can see with my eyes. And so who am I to only jump over into the spiritual when I want to raise my fist at God? How about I go into the spiritual and I confess and I open my hands and surrender? Why don't I be humble and understand that that miracles only happen for those who believe. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. So instead of shaking my fist, maybe I should open my hands. Instead of thinking I know the future, how about I say, you know what? I can't determine the future. I was talking to my daughter. She's nine on the way to church this morning and unrelated to any of this. She was talking about her life and some things that she wants to accomplish. And I said, you know, you, you, you can't always worry about the past. And she said, Daddy, I can't let the past determine my future. And I can't let what I want in the future to determine the past. And I sat and thought and said, good night, the Spirit of God just fell in my passenger seat. Because her point is like that, I, I have no control over anything except today. Am I going to be faithful today? That's it. It doesn't matter where I want to go to college or where I want to live or where, it, none of that matters. What matters is if I'm faithful today. That's it.
It's a, a, a lot of us, we make life so more, much more complicated than it needs to be because you're still, you're still fighting battles that happened to you when you were a child. You're still fighting battles from three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. You're still fighting old battles. But when, when, the Lord, when the Lord sent out his servants, he says, you tell them, I am. I am sent you. I am sent you. You know why? He's not I will be. He's not I was. He is I am. You can't do anything about that in the past. What you can do is you can go apologize to the people that need to make uh, some, some amends. You can go get counseling to get yourself together. But the point is, is that you can't do it. You cannot go back there. But what you can do is you can start fresh here. You get up and walk in faith. We get back up in the strength of the Lord. There he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for you, Lord. Meaning I'm, I'm a super, super believer. The God of hosts. For the people of Israel, they have forsaken your covenant. Do you see this? He, he is running away from the miracle working God. He's left his servant behind. All the people that are now worshiping God, he left them all behind. And he's having his own little pity party. And he's like, oh, they don't get you, God. I get you. They're forgetting you. They're forgetting your covenants. He says, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And look at this. I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke the pieces of rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake came, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous. He starts reciting that again. I've been very jealous. They tore down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek to take my life away. I want to give you a life hack. You're going through difficult days. You've forgotten the Lord. Your, your faith doesn't seem very powerful. You're, you're whining about every circumstance you're in. You're, you're living in fear, not faith. And here you find yourself. You're trying to do the right thing by showing up for church. And you might even be serving. Maybe you go to a Bible study. And you're just kind of like, man, where is, where is God in all this? Uh, let me give you a life hack. Um, it's time for you to invite God to your pity party. It's time for you to invite God to your pity party. You see, because all he was listening to was his own voice. All he was listening to was his own thoughts. All he was listening to was, I'm out here by myself now. How did he get by himself? He took himself by himself. He went there. He got himself alone. And then he said, oh, look at me. I'm alone. Yeah, no, duh. When I performed the miracle and there were other people ready to follow me, you decided to bail on them. And then I had that servant with you that would have laid down his life, but you decided to bail on him. And you think you're the only one left? 
our, our perspective of what is going on in the spiritual and the supernatural would change if you invite in the God of the supernatural. But you don't want to invite that God in because he might tell you some truth that hurts your feelings a little bit. And good night. We live in a world where no one's feelings can be damaged. And so because you're so sensitive, you, you don't invite God in. You don't want to hear really what God has to say to you. Because then you might be culpable. Then you can't shout out, I'm the only one. You're not the only one. There are 7.4 billion people on this planet, and I'm pretty sure somebody else has gone through the same thing. You're the only one that you're thinking about. And so you and I, we've got to realize that no, the Lord has not left me alone. There are a community of people available to me there are people who will serve in my church. There are people who meet and have meals together in my church. There are people who will meet with me one-on-one -on -one and walk me through whatever's going on. But if you have made yourself alone, you have no right to shake your fist at God. You have no right to say, well, if God was here, He would. You don't know what God would do because you don't know God. But if you would get to know God, if you would invite him into your pity parties, and if you would realize he's got 7.4 billion kids that are alive right now, let alone the billions that have gone before us, he can handle it. He can handle it. Whatever you're going through, whatever pain you have, whatever frustrations you have, he can handle it. Everybody tell me, say, he can handle it. Now say it like you believe it. He can handle it. Now think for a moment on what you're going through. And only say it if you mean it, if you confess it. He can handle it. Say it with me. He can handle it. He can. But you've got to invite him to your pity party. Too many of us are sitting alone because we made ourselves alone. And then we're mad at God because we're alone. It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with you and me. And we need to realize if we want to tap into the spiritual, we've got to invite the God of the spiritual. But most people I find that are discouraged in those situations, that's not their habit. Their habit is not to be in prayer. Their habit is not to study the Word. Their habit is not to be in fellowship with, with three or four or five that are praying for them over an issue for a long period of time. It, 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 in every miracle moment in my life, I can assure you, it, it took a while because God was not trying to change the situation until He changed me. And some of us were so resistant to God changing our hearts, He's not going to change that situation, especially if we're not coming to Him. That situation is going to be exactly what it is. And you know the beautiful thing? I had a mentor tell me one time when I was so messed up in the head, and I was a pastor, but I was, that's probably part of what gets you messed up in the head. But, but I had a pastor tell me one time, a mentor of mine, he said, Tolly, you, you, can, you can run. You can and he was like, and you're, you're smart, man. You'll probably land just fine. You'll, you're, you'll probably go on. You'll probably do this and that and that. And he said, but you know the crazy thing? He said, if, if you don't die to yourself and let God resurrect you, you're taking you with you. And he just said, how, how at peace are you to take this version of you with you into the future? I said, no. I mean, I knew my heart at that time, and I just said, no, I don't want to take this version with me. Some of us are 30 years old, and we're still acting 13. 
some of us haven't read the Bible in years just to get with the Lord. Some of us don't even know how to pronounce discipline because we've given up on spiritual disciplines. And yet some of us have the nerve to go to the Lord and say, I don't like the situation I'm in. And remember, the crazy thing is Elijah was a prophet. What did I tell you at the beginning? Elijah's job was to go tell people their life was messed up and that they need to surrender to the Lord. And here he was, a guy who did this for a living, found himself not able to surrender himself to the Lord. You have to invite God to your pity party. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu and uh, to Nishmi to, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Snapchat. That's how I read the Bible. You shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. There's another generation depending on you. You're not the end of the road. You're not the end of my mission. You're not all that. You can be replaced. These are hard truths, aren't they? Because we, we have, especially in the Western culture, we have made the individual so self-important that we don't have the ability to say, Lord, you're doing a greater work. And you've done that greater work for thousands of years. And you'll do that work unless you come back for thousands of years. My role in it is to be one of many, not to be isolated in my faith. It's we the church, not me the church. And some of us, we've got to flip that me to we. And we need to start including the Lord and including the Lord's people. So he said, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall be put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put, Elisha put to death. And yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. This is an oh, by the way moment. Oh, and by the way, all that whining you were doing about you're the only one left. Let me go ahead and open your worldview up a little bit. Um, I got other people. Because when you invite the Lord to your pity party, he's going to give you perspective that you didn't have when he wasn't invited. And he's like, oh, by the way, I've been doing some other stuff you don't know about. So if you could calm down and quit being so arrogant, maybe you'll realize what I'm up to. But as long as you want to make it about you, and as long as you want to whine and cry about your situation, as long as you want to be, have a me faith instead of a we faith, as long as you're worried about you and your situation all the time, and you can't see, you can't pick your eyes up from your own tears to look around and see the beauty I've designed all around you, look around and see all the people that are available to help, so long as you can't look around, and so long as you can't pick your chin up, then guess what? You're going to miss out on what I've been doing. But he says, you know what? I believe 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that haven't bowed to Baal, haven't bowed to Baal, meaning... They, they were already there. They haven't bailed to bail. God had already been doing. There's already thousands. And here he is saying, oh, I'm the only one. No, you're not. You're not the only one. I'll leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to bail, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Church, last but not least today, we are the remnant of God. God always works through the remnant. 
a remnant is a few that's left over that have never changed where they stood. A, a, a remnant is a few that have the faith as you did in the beginning. A remnant are the ones that hold on when everything else goes to hell around them. We, as broken as we are, as hurt as we are, as not as cute as we think we are, we are the remnant. The Lord says that He, the Scripture says that the Lord uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So the more messed up you see your neighbor, now don't look at them right now because that'll be weird. But a lot of times I think we, we shop for churches and we shop for faith based on the outward appearance. And the Scripture says that He determines, the Lord determines by the heart. And there are a lot of places with really pretty people that are dressed up really, really nice that have absolutely zero in terms of spiritual fortitude. My prayer is that we are a people of faith. We are the remnant. And guess what? Not everybody's going to dig it. And that's okay. But I pray that once they get a hold of the Lord, once He says, hey, by the way, there are some people called Captivate over there that you need to link up with. And they link up with us and we welcome them and we keep moving forward. And I pray that by the time I'm dead, we have dozens of churches all around the city that have been birthed out of this movement, this remnant. But it takes individuals who realize we need to tap into the spiritual. It's not all about us. God is doing a greater work. He's been doing a greater work. And He will do a greater work. But we have to surrender to Him. We don't need to be isolated. If you're isolated in your problem, that's probably your situation. And that we're spiritual beings who have a body. We're not physical beings who happen to have a spirit. And when we put it all in perspective, and when we trust in the God of the miraculous, and when we surrender our lives to Him, and we tap into the supernatural, then we realize there is power available to the remnant. And it may not be fire, and it may not be flood, and it may not be wind and earthquakes. But it, what it might be is it might be restitution of a family. It might be a reunification. It might be a birth. It might be a barren woman who's not able to have a child is able to have a child. It may be somebody who's set free from cancer. It may be that you're able to finally move on after you've, that loved one is gone. You can finally let go and trust God and, and, and enjoy your life. Whatever it might be. What we all know, having lived a little while, is that life's going to be hard. But when it's hard, you can invite God to your pity party. Or you can try to do it in your own strength. But the angel of the Lord said, it's too great for you. So go in the strength of the Lord not in the strength of yourself. I don't want anybody to move, but the first step to get to there is a surrender to Jesus. You admit that you're a sinner. We all are. Everybody in this room, everybody in this theater, everybody in Baltimore, the United States, we're all sinners. So what do you do with that sin? You have to believe something. Either you believe you're condemned for it forever, or you believe it doesn't exist, and I just dare you to take a look at history, take a look at our news every night, but see that sin does exist. What do we do with it? We believe something if we're a Christian. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty because of our sin. Our sin is so ugly 
God doesn't want anything to do with it. But Jesus was pure. Jesus was God's own son. He was fully God, fully man. He died a voluntarily, uh, voluntary death on a Roman cross. They thought they were killing him, but they were actually spreading him out. And so you and I, we can tap into that if we would do the third part and confess. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm fallen. I don't deserve heaven. But I confess that, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. And you said that when you were doing that, you were doing that for all of us who would profess you as Savior. So I confess you, Jesus, to be my Lord and my Savior now. You're the boss. You're the CEO. What you say goes. Not what a pastor or priest says. Not what some church says. But what you say. And so today, Lord, I am ready to admit that I'm a sinner. Believe Christ, you died for me. And confess, Jesus, you're the boss now. I lay down my life just as you laid down yours, but I pick up your life instead of my own. And this life that is now lived is lived as Christ in me. So all across this room, if you want to trust Christ today, if you want to be forgiven and set free, if you want to tap into the supernatural, it all begins with Jesus. When you get to heaven, God's not going to give two craps about what's in your bank account. He's not going to care how many good deeds you did. He's not going to care if your lawn was mowed or if you bought that house you hoped you had. He, he doesn't care. What the Lord's going to ask you is, what did you do with my son, Jesus? And you will either say that I believed he was a lunatic, a liar, or he was my Lord. And I pray that everybody in the sound of my voice is able to admit to God one day that you've trusted Jesus to be your Lord. Lord just doesn't mean church friend. Lord means he's the ruler, the healer, the forgiver, the one that gives you life, sustainer. And so I pray that you will receive Jesus to be all of that for you. Tap into the supernatural. Go in his strength. Let him lead the way. And I promise, if you lead the process to God, you can leave the results to God. And God's ways are greater than your ways. But you have to let go first. Let's pray.